through Jesus Christ. It is an engagement offer that if we say yes to, promises to lead us to a marriage feast unlike any other. If you will, today is the beginning of an opportunity for us to renew our vows to Jesus. The next 40 days, not including Sundays, are a season of time traditionally known as Lent. Lent has long been observed in the church as a sacred time of reflection and recommitment in following Jesus. Together, we will have the opportunity to reflect upon and reconsider the order, the priority, and the health of our loves. Is our devotion to Jesus as passionate as his devotion is to us? As we journey towards Jerusalem with Jesus, will we be, will we remain his valentine? For once again, through the witness of the cross and the victory of the resurrection, Jesus will prove his desire, his will to be our first love. Today is the first step of this journey. Today is Ash Wednesday. We begin the road towards Calvary in the shadow of death, in ashes. We start our travels by remembering our sin and our mortality, by calling to mind the one thing we all have in common, regardless of our age, our gender, our cultural, ethnic, or experiential differences. The one thing we all have in common is that we die. Death comes for us all. We begin by anticipating our last breath on earth. We start by facing our worst and shared fear through touching and feeling the cold and the darkness of ashes the dust from which we came, the dust to which we will return. This is where we begin. But later on, as those ashes are applied to our foreheads in the sign of the cross, we are reminded that death no longer has the last word in our life. Our failures do not have to be final. Our sins, both individual and corporate, can be forgiven. Death is no longer the only thing we have in common. For God so loved all the world that he gave his one and only Son, and whoever believes in him shall not perish, but have eternal life. Beloved, in the sign of the cross is an invitation of grace extended to all persons. And the power of the cross is a gift of love received by faith, received in hope, and received through trust in Jesus Christ. Will you accept that invitation? Will we renew our commitment to follow Jesus? You know, originally the imposition of ashes was only part of the instruction for new believers. 
for those who were coming into the faith for the first time. But over the years, there was a recognition within the church of the value for all disciples to go through a season of deeper reflection and instruction in the way of Jesus. Therefore, many Christians, as you may have, this may be part of your practice, many Christians will spend the season of Lent giving something up, a particular habit, like complaining, a material possession, something you can hold on to or consume, like coffee, or a daily activity, like surfing the internet or watching TV. The sacrificial act of giving up something for Lent is perceived as a helpful way of being more mindful of Jesus' suffering and sacrificial love through the cross. It's intended for us to take what we are giving up, that space, that energy, that time, and devote it more exclusively to Jesus, to being in relationship, to reflecting upon him in his word through prayer, I want to make something clear, though, because there's often, especially in the Protestant church, a lot of concern about this giving up something for Lent. Any Lenten sacrifice we make is not the same thing as a New Year's resolution. It's not about giving up chocolate. It's about using our love of chocolate and the absence of it as a means of digging deeper and truly discovering what is getting in the way of our relationship with God that is intended to grow, to mature. Any fasting we do during Lent, any letting go or putting aside of something, is to be associated with Jesus' 40 days in the wilderness. Just as Jesus fasted and was better focused to face his temptations in the desert, most of us have some things getting in the way of our walk with Christ. Giving up habits, possessions, or activities we suspect to be distractions or maybe even addictions will confirm whether or not such things are idols in our lives, rivals in our love and worship of Jesus. When we face our idols, we allow the Holy Spirit to drill down into our souls and touch us where it counts. Another way of saying this is Lent is about spring cleaning, soul cleaning, if you will. It's a confessional time for being honest, for going straight and getting sober with the Lord. Our posture during these next 40 days is to be one of repentance opening up and airing out our unopened closets, doing away with the secret stashes in our lives, putting away the unpacked baggage we are still carrying around. No one is immune. No one is immune from the need for a little soul cleaning. We can all get distracted and lose our focus. Consider David. David, as we know, was one of Israel's greatest kings, a man after God's own heart. But he wasn't immune from distraction, losing his focus on the Lord of his life. It all started with a casual glance, a casual glance towards a beautiful woman bathing on a rooftop, 
It was just one look, but it was a glance that lingered too long and captured David's attention. He had to have her. And so he had her brought to the palace, his palace, where he had his way with a woman married to another man. And she became pregnant. We can all become addicted and enslaved to the things we love more than God. David lusted after Bathsheba, but he also loved his crown. David abused his power in order to try and have his cake and eat it too. To have his tryst with Bathsheba without alerting her husband. To avoid taking responsibility for their child by making Uriah think he was the father. But if you remember this story, David only ended up getting ensnared by his own desires. For all his maneuvering, he remained an adulterer who ended up a murderer. As he welcomed the grieving widow, his secret lover, into his palace, David's treasure was where his heart was, and his heart no longer belonged to God. We can all fail to see the idols we bow down to and worship instead of God. The prophet Isaiah once described our struggle with idols this way. Such a person, Isaiah wrote, feeds on ashes. A deluded heart misleads him. He cannot save himself or say, is not this thing in my right hand a lie? David was blind to his own idolatry when God gave him the chance to see it. David was so full of himself when a prophet named Nathan confronted him, his mouth was full of ashes. As he grew hot and bothered about the speck in another man's eye, demanding righteousness and justice, even as he failed to see the log of his own lust, adultery, deception, and murder. But sometimes, sometimes when our idols fall away, when they fall down on us hard, the wind of our self-righteousness gets knocked out of us and we can breathe a new spirit. Struck in the proverbial gut by the hypocrisy of his own sin, David was broken. For the first time in a long while, he started to pray. Hear some of the words of that prayer from Psalm 51. Deliver me from the guilt of bloodshed, O God. You who are God, my Savior, and my tongue will sing of your righteousness. Open my lips, Lord, and my mouth will declare your praise. You do not delight in sacrifice, or I would bring it. You do not take pleasure in burnt offerings. My sacrifice, O God, is a broken spirit, a broken and contrite heart toward you. God, you will not despise. Beloved, we all have temptations. We all have distractions. We all have addictions. We all have idols with which we are wrestling. We must go through times in which something in us must die in order for something new to be born. Lent helps us do that. 
We give up something, not for the sake of the act itself, but for the sake of giving God space to move. 40 days of fasting and reflecting can bring a lot of perspective. My friends, where in our lives do we need to repent? Where in our lives do we need to repent to let our hearts be broken open, to allow our minds to be cleared, to surrender our wills to being turned around so that we can get back to walking more closely with Jesus? Each of us alone must confront whatever it is the Lord is calling us to give up during this Lenten season. But don't ignore that prompting tonight. Follow where Jesus leads you. Be accountable and encouraged by another person in that journey of fasting by sharing with them where God is calling you to release something so he can move. That is a huge part of the tradition of Lent. However, what I would like to ask us to do together during this season is not only to give something up, I would like us together to pick something up. If Lent is about our concentrated study and intense focus upon the way of Christ, then for the next 40 days, I'd like us to take on something, a practice through which we can press more fully into the life of Jesus. I'm calling us to give more of our attention, more of our hearts, more of our time to the practice of prayer. If we play, pay close attention to Jesus, one of the things we notice immediately is he was regularly committed to prayer. If we listen to Jesus teach and speak in the Gospels, we also notice right away Jesus enjoyed unhindered fellowship with the Father and remained in unceasing communication with him through prayer. If prayer was the primary discipline of Jesus' life, then it should become a regular habit of ours. Now, now, prayer is something we're all familiar with. I would gather most of us tonight, this is not a foreign idea of praying. We're all familiar with prayer, but prayer is not something with, with, with which most of us are comfortable. We can feel so inadequate and unlearned in prayer. We don't know where to begin we don't know what to say. We don't know how to say it, how to say anything before God, let alone out loud in a group of other people. Perhaps we even wrestle with what prayer is, what prayer accomplishes, or at least what prayer is supposed to accomplish. Jesus modeled a life of prayer, and thankfully, he specifically taught us about it. This Lenten season, starting on Sunday, we'll be focusing on the Lord's Prayer as a way of learning how to talk to God and to speak to the Lord on each other's behalf. Each Sunday, all the way through Easter, we will concentrate on one of the petitions, each thematic element of how Jesus instructs us to pray. And on Wednesday evenings, if you've missed this and it's in your bulletin, on Wednesday evenings starting next week through classical art, which you'll have the opportunity to recreate if you wish while listening, we will also consider each of the petitions of the Lord's Prayer, not just as they are to be spoken, but as they were practically lived out by Jesus during Holy Week. 
those final days leading up to the cross and the resurrection. I promise you, if you make the space for Sunday and for Wednesday, it will be a rich and insightful experience for us all. Tonight, we'll break the ice, though. As before we get into how Jesus teaches us how to pray, we'll listen to how Jesus specifically tells us not to talk to God. I want to invite you to listen carefully to his words from the Sermon on the Mount in Matthew chapter 6, verses 5 through 8. You may follow along in the Bible that's there. It's pretty short, or you may just listen as I read from the Gospel of Matthew chapter 6. But hear the word of the Lord. And when you pray, do not be like the hypocrites, for they love to pray standing in the synagogues and on the street corners to be seen by men. I tell you the truth, they have received their reward in full. But when you pray, go into your room, close the door, and pray to your Father who is unseen. Then your Father, who sees what is done in secret, will reward you. And when you pray, do not keep on babbling like pagans, for they think they will be heard because of their many words. Do not be like them, for your Father knows what you need before you ask him. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Just a couple of verses, but Jesus is fairly blunt, isn't he? I mean, Jesus is fairly blunt. His teaching, while striking, is very clarifying, though. Prayer isn't making conversation just to hear ourselves. It's important we hear that. Prayer isn't just conversation to hear ourselves. Prayer isn't talking out loud to draw the attention or praise of others. To put it more pointedly, to really make it hit home what Jesus is saying here, we don't pray in order for our prayers to have some kind of effect on us or to influence others. We pray in order for God to affect us, for God to influence others. And this is important because many of us, and this is part of like a stumbling block, many of us judge our prayers and the prayers of others based on the effects of those prayers. Did I feel better when I prayed? Did you feel better when I prayed for you? That's not the point of prayer. It may be the outcome of prayer, but that's not fundamentally the point of prayer. Prayer is ultimately directing our attention to the Lord, to knowing better and being in the center of the Lord's character and will. In other words, prayer is bending our lives toward God, what God wants, not getting what we want. That is why Jesus also says that the number and frequency of our words isn't important. Whatever comes out of our prayers, we cannot control. Whatever comes out of our prayers, we cannot control. God isn't our cosmic janitor called into service when we decide to talk to him. For many of us, our prayer life, our relationship with God always begins or resumes out of a place of panic or distress. For some of us, this is in the extreme, but for some of us, it's even in the normalcy of life. If we have a relationship with God, if we pray, we pray, we tend to either engage in prayer, resume it, when we panic. Help! Help gets us on our knees, right? We start our prayer life with a disturbing awareness of how much bigger the world out there is, how out of control we are, 
And so we pray starting from desperation, looking for a God who is bigger than all that, all that we are facing. But if you listen to Jesus, what if we started the conversation, the relationship the other way? Not starting first with a disturbing awareness of how much bigger is the world out there or how out of control we are. But what if we started out of the confident assurance of a God who is greater than the largeness of this world? What if we started out of a place of confidence in a God who is absolutely and always in control? Would our conversation, would our relationship be different? Two things right off the bat we're gonna notice about the Lord's Prayer. Two things when Jesus starts to teach on Sunday. First, Jesus never tells us to begin praying from a place of panic or disturbance. Jesus never tells us to begin praying from a place of panic or disturbance, reactively. He tells us to be proactive in our relationship, in our conversation with God. That's one. Number two, Jesus doesn't tell us to wait to pray until something is in our minds or on our hearts. Jesus does quite the opposite. He teaches us there are specific requests we are to pray all the time. That there are petitions, specific petitions, that are to shape and filter the rest of our conversation with God. I don't know if you appreciate the significance of that shift, but I guarantee by the time we finish in the Lord's Prayer, looking at it together, you will. What's ironic to me in these brief couple of verses as we start to dive into the Lord's Prayer, the precursor to Jesus' teaching, what's ironic is the starting point about, of learning about prayer just also happens to be the starting point of our journey tonight through the season of Lent. We need, according to Jesus, before he begins to teach us, we need to stop being so full of ourselves when it comes to our relationship with God. We need to spit out all the ashes in our mouths, all our agendas, all our timetables, all our plans when it comes to the Lord, all of the idols that dictate our engagement, our conversation, our response to the Lord in our life, whether those idols are our desire to please ourselves or whether those idols are created out of our desire to be seen as successful or influential by others or whether those idols come out of our desire to direct or manipulate God to act accordingly with our will rather than his. Jesus says we have to start by first stop being so full of ourselves. The next 40 days of prayer that I'm calling us on together are not meant for any of us, for all of us, to become a merit badge that we sew onto our church clothes, a flashing neon light of how spiritual we are. The words we lift up in these next 40 days must not become just an empty or self-centered litany of requests that we submit to the Lord as if we were spamming heaven. Lent, this journey that we're about to take, is learning how to speak the language of faith, hope, and love through the word made flesh named Jesus Christ. These next 40 days are about discovering not only how to talk to God, but also how we can, how we must be shaped by what we pray.
And we begin that journey tonight by first allowing ourselves to be emptied so we can become full once again in Christ. In just a little bit, we will move towards the ashes together. And they're not something normally that we have in our hands, let alone apply to our bodies. Because again, scripturally, in life, they remind us of death. But we do not fear the ashes tonight. Remember that, my friends. We do not fear the ashes tonight, even though they represent the end of ourselves. We do not fear the ashes because the sign of the cross made from these ashes of our sin and our death is our assurance that we do not need to fear them. Because in Christ, thanks to Jesus, we will rise from the ashes. We will rise because Easter, because resurrection is coming.